EMS One Academy, a training solution designed for EMS chiefs, offers more than 200 courses and 250 hours of continuing education. Our modern learning solution includes flexible reporting capabilities and features to upload agency-specific courses and track credentials for recertification. Easily streamline daily administrative workflow with EMS One Academy. Start your free trial. Visit www.emsoneacademy.com slash insideems. Well, welcome to Inside EMS. What a very somber week it is as we uh, now deal with the aftermath of this Vegas shooting. And of course, that's going to be the subject that we talk about today. And with me always sitting in the right-hand seat is my good friend, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, I mean, I mean, as we start to think about this show, I mean, there's, there's no time for humor. I mean, you, you can't even think about, uh, you know, a little bit of levity when you think about the horror that's going on in uh, Las Vegas and, of course, the challenges that our, our, our peers out there are having to go through, uh, not only to manage the scene, but now manage the aftermath of the scene. And, uh, you know, you and I said it before, you know, we started recording. What is the world coming to? I I don't know. Um, I, I wish I did. Uh, I think it's painfully obvious uh, now that uh, our, our world is a, a different place than the one we grew up in. And um, uh, I wish I knew the answer how to turn it around, uh, but uh, it's it's become obvious that there are no safe places anymore, and and that's our new reality. And uh, I think we we probably should start the show by by uh, offering our prayers and support to uh, the families of the dead and uh, and the wounded, and uh, hope uh, hope for the uh, speedy recovery for those who are wounded. And I think, you know, when we, we think about the purpose of our show, we think about the purpose to make certain that, you know, we're talking about the things that EMS is talking about. And certainly this week, this is the topic that's on everybody's mind. And I think that, you know, we've had these discussions before where we talk about the challenges of these types of calls. And I guess from a maybe a leadership side, from my end, from a provider side on your end, you know, we 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 talk about, you know, how do we prepare our, our, our organizations? How do we prepare our communities? Because I think now we've got to start thinking about, Kelly, that we've spent an awful lot of time of training our EMS systems and our first responders and our police brethren or how to deal with these active shooter situations and, you know, how to deal with these civil dis... But has it now gotten to the time that we need to start training our community as well? Yes, most definitely. You know, uh, it, you can't plan for such an event. You can't defend against such an event. I mean, the the world is full of public places and and uh, and likely shooting venues. You know, if a madman wants to do it, he he can and will. Um, you can train as best you can for it, but uh, I think the the best thing we can do right now is is be uh is use our, our knowledge and our skills and our advocacy to become force multipliers and teach lay people uh, how to stay alive and, and how to keep others alive in, in the event that such a tragedy happens again. You know, it's uh, historically all of our our most uh, 
effective interventions in resuscitation have trickled down and they're they're now layperson interventions you know the 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 difference between life and death now is in cardiac arrest is cpr you know something that any layperson can do uh, same for defibrillation i think we we need to add uh chest seals and tourniquets and and simple bleeding control to that list uh and and every uh, adult in society needs to to be proficient in those tasks because you never know you never know it'll be you or a loved one or or uh for that matter a total stranger that you'll be you'll be called upon to help yeah and you know one of the things that you said and i want to counter is that you mentioned you know you never know when this is going to happen and how do you prepare for those things you know, I, I want to start to say that we need to be able to prepare for these things within our community by these events that are happening around the country, i.e. the Ferguson event, the events in Baltimore, the Aurora shootings. We know we had to deal with uh, uh, shootings in a movie theater. You know, we had the church shooting in Charleston, South Carolina. I, I, the Pulse I think, nightclub Exactly, shooting. man. Yeah. So I think we have to take these uh, events and put them into the community. Now, I know you don't service Pitkin, Louisiana, but if you are at, uh, 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 I don't know what, a truck and tractor pull, what do you do down there? Mm-hmm. So if you're at an event like that. <laughs> truck and tractor pull? We have what? to get, do we have to get some levity in here? But Let's, let's stereotype. Oh, is it really? All right, never mind now. Let's stop. Let's not go there then. But if you're at an event like that down there in Louisiana, I mean, the lesson has to be, Kelly, that this just happened similar to that in Las Vegas. What do we have to do to prepare to, to, to man that? And then I think you write that plan. I think you share that with your workforce. And then I think you have to be able to say if, or, or maybe not even if, but when those events happen in our community, how do we execute this plan? I mean, I think that's the way we, we, we prepare, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and, I think I think the advocacy and and the public education that we already do, like the mass CPR training events and, and those things, uh, it's, it's it should be just a, a fairly simple matter to change that from heart saver CPR or, or friends and family CPR to heart saver first aid CPR, uh, or, or just come up with uh, with an extra fifteen minutes to say, all right, this is how you do chest compressions, this is how you use an AED, this is how you put on a tourniquet. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think those can be life-saving things. We know that, that victims of the pulse shooting probably bled out right. because, uh, because of the difficulties in, in containing the shooter or, or determining if the shooter was indeed contained right. uh, uh, delayed care. Um, I think the public needs to know uh, more now uh, than ever that when you need help, uh, we're going to be there as quickly as we can, but we cannot always be there immediately. Um, and uh, uh, they're going to have to be self-sufficient. Right, um, right. I, I think that's the service. It, it, it may sting our pride as, as uh, uh, responders to, to admit to that, but I think the, the, the best way to serve the public uh, is be by being honest with them and say, look, you know, we, we can't go in there uh, and be there uh, uh you know, at a moment's right away, notice. Yeah. Uh, even when we're well planned, even when we're well staged and, and trained to work in the hot zone, you know this this shooting was going on for what over an hour, seventy two minutes. I, I read somewhere before they were uh, the police were able to breach the door. Oh, I didn't uh, see that. And and take him down. Yeah, close to seventy two minutes of, of gunfire. Um, you know, well planned. Uh, 
you know, I think that there's a lot of I think that there's a lot of things to think about here, and I certainly want to talk about some of these logistics. You know, there was an article on EMS one where the paramedic recalls agonizing decisions that had to be made. I want to get to that. You know, uh, uh, you know, there's things that uh, you know I want to talk about. You know, we talk about the pulse shooting. You know, even though we train to prepare for these things, as you mentioned, it, it was very, very uh, poignant. And I don't want it to be glossed over is that how long does it take us to finally get into the scene to save those people? And now does it come to some of these events now that instead of them having, you know, uh, 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 pocket masks and AEDs, are they having a cadre of uh, bandages and and uh, uh, tourniquets, you know? But I, I guess even before we get to that question, I guess what I want to ask you is, when you first heard this, I mean, what was your first few thoughts as far as maybe how this was going to impact, um, you know, how is this going to change things? How is this going to impact things? Because one of the things that I was thinking, and actually someone, one of my friends made this comment to me was, I bet now we're going to have to go through medical metal detectors before we get hotel rooms. I mean, but so as we start to think about these events happening and certainly mm-hmm. 9-11 and all the things that kind of happened subsequently, is this an event that, change our, that changes our lives? I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure that... Uh that um it's going to uh uh be a sea change in in what we're doing now um you know i think we said that same sort of thing uh after the uh the pulse shooting and after sandy hook um and some things changed uh, i think that's that sort of thing um and and going all the way back to columbine uh i think that spurred the change in in at least police doctrine uh in in dealing with active shooters now they no longer try to contain they they try to uh to to you know locate and engage and take them out as quickly as possible um and our our warm zone operations and the concept of a rescue task force probably flowed you know somewhat from from sandy hook and and pulse uh and i don't know that that uh, that, that anything is going to drastically change uh, in, in our outlook on, on responding to these sorts of things, but it certainly ought to become more prevalent. It certainly ought to ramp up um, and, and hammer home the, the fact that, uh, that no matter where you are or how small a town you're in or what kind of venue you're in, this is a possibility in our world now, uh, and, and we need to be prepared for it. I don't know that we need to to have a, a drastic change in, in our, our handling of these incidents, uh, other than the, uh, than it just you know doing more of more of the same. You know, we we, we need to get the word out more um, and and get more training uh, available. So, you know, one of the things that you you mentioned that I found very very interesting was you talked about the. Um, you know, taking CPR and, you know, adding a little first aid class. Do we finally get to a point, Kelly Grayson, where before you get your driver's license, you've got to show proof of a CPR card with this first aid class, let's say, and then subsequently every time you, you know, uh, uh, renew your driver's license? I mean, do we need to get to a point that we can keep our citizens safe by getting them trained and doing something drastic as saying, everybody's going to need to have uh, CPR first aid or whatever we call that new class. Is that what the future looks like? I, I would be in favor of that. Yeah. I, and, and I think, 
um, whether you actually use that training is, is up to the individual. Uh, you know, I fully understand that some people are not going to want to get involved and they're not going to want to help. Um, not because they, you know, don't love their fellow man. They just, you know, that, that's not their deal. And, and they, uh, they, they, they feel uncomfortable doing it or, or unsure of themselves. Um, but certainly I think the training should be, um, should be available and, and, you know, if our, if this is the world we're going to live in, maybe even mandatory. Yeah. So, um, I know that in Louisiana, um, to, to graduate high school, you had to have had CPR training. Uh, that, that's a common, uh, oh, is that still, is that still today? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. even today. Now, now do you have to hold a CPR card? No, but you have to have CPR training. So you, you like as part of, as part of your curriculum the, in high school kind of thing. Yeah. It's yeah. Your, your phys ed or your, you know, your, your, one of your athletic coaches or something, typically whoever teaches the health occupations or the health classes and stuff, uh, will typically do that for How'd CPR. That come about, you know? Do you know, do you know how that came about? I, I don't know. And, and here's the, um, I really don't know how that came about, but I know that as long as I have been a paramedic, uh, for, so for t- close to 25 years, that has been on the books. Um, now we had quite a few schools that, that never, really put their kids on a mannequin and, and actually had them do it. It was kind of pencil whip for many years or, or just winked at, yeah, they've had the CPR stuff. Uh, and there, no one actually did the training. Um, but that was one way we, we, uh, kind of, um, uh, you know, brought advocacy to the schools in our service area and, and, you know, also helped advertise our, our, our EMS agency was, you know, we were a small mom and pop place. And we said, Hey, look, you know, well, you do realize that, uh, it, it's a requirement for these kids to have CPR. We'll come in and do it. Uh, and, and that was, you know, one way of promoting our, our company, um, and serving the public as well. Uh, but it's always, it's been that way for as long as I can, uh, I've been in EMS. Um, and it, and it's starting to become far more common. Uh, that, that the classes are actually taught. I would, I would love to see something like that um, as a requirement to, to get a driver's license. Um, you know, we, we talk about public, uh, we talk about layperson use of naloxone, you know, and, and that's been a hot topic lately. Um, personally, I think if you're going to buy naloxone over the counter at a Walgreens or wherever, uh, you should have to show a CPR card to get it. Um, and, oh, that's and, another, and, that's another great one, Kelly. Yeah. You know, you should have, you, you should have a CPR barrier device or a mask and a CPR card. Fine. Here's your Narcan. Uh, cause not only do you need to teach them the, you know, how to use the Narcan appropriately, but they need to know the first line mm-hmm. of treatment is, which is restoring adequate ventilation. But, but getting off that tangent, I think it's not that big a leap to require this, you know, and, and. Uh, you know, I'm still boggled by the, by the, the prospect of, of being, you know, even considering teaching citizens, the, uh, the difference between cover and concealment. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. Thing, yeah. Yeah. You know? so, and it's, but, but it's something that we, we all need to know, not just those of us in EMS operations. I think it's, it's, it's something we all need to know. So I did, I did kind of go down a rabbit hole that when I talked about, you know, my first thoughts. So I did want to get your first thoughts, though. I mean, you're and you kind of, you know, we've joked about you being the Ted Nugent of EMS. You're very, very active. You have, you know, you have your own, you know, uh, you enjoy shooting, you enjoy hunting. 
So uh, I, I wanted to know what you thought from you know the the Second Amendment advocacy, from the uh, you know paramedicine advocacy. I mean, when you heard this, I mean, what was your initial thoughts of the event? Oh man, you're going to make me do this, aren't you? Um, I, I appreciate the the perspective and 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 wanting to know. I just and and everyone that knows me knows my politics, knows what I'm about. Um, I just. I really don't think it's appropriate at this point uh, to to you know espouse my my political views and and what that means as far as gun control or anything else or or, or uh, gun rights. Um, uh, I'll tell you honestly what my first uh, reaction was is you know oh my god, um, what about the people that are out there rendering care? Right. Um, I hope it's none of our, our, you know, brothers and sisters down. Right, right. Uh, and you know, there had to have been people, you know, off-duty cops and 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 medical. We, we know there were some nurses there, and you know, you know, um, there was an off-duty Minneapolis cop uh, that was uh, there at the bar where where Big and Rich were, and um, uh, he's in the middle of all this, and the gunfire's going off, and the cop says, you know, it's the first time I've not been armed in, in years. Uh, and asked Rich, <laughs> did he have a weapon? Uh, and, and he said, yes, I do. And gave the cop his weapon and the, the cop held the perimeter at their bar until the incident was over. Um, but you know, we, we've got listeners and, and, and fans and colleagues out there that were at this, at this thing. It comes, you know, I, the first, one of the first things I thought was, God, I hope Scooter deal is, uh, is not all up in the middle of this. And, and if he is, I hope he's safe. And, and that, uh, uh, you know, he's, I, I would not want to be in his shoes uh, right, right, right now. Scooter's the, you know, one of the guys behind paramedics on Facebook and the, the paramedic chronicles and, and Sin City Medics and, and those those hilarious videos. Um, and I saw a Facebook uh, update from him uh, just uh, earlier today that said he was safe and he had gone down to one of the hospitals to help out. But, sure. you know, uh, Herculean task. Yeah, <laughs> Think I about agree. 58 I agree. dead and over 500 injured. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that quite a few of those were not just shooting uh, uh, gunshot wounds, but but you know injuries from from getting away and and, and uh, taking cover and probably blunt trauma and crush injuries and God knows what. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know that my my first thought was to uh, well I I, uh, <laughs> I teared up a little bit you know and said you know what what the hell is our world coming to. So, you're just a big uh, teddy bear. You're just a big teddy bear. Well, so let me ask you. Let me ask you this. I mean, I, I think you bring up a really good point where you talk about the challenge of this event, and certainly uh, when you know there's enough healing out there with our brothers and sisters in EMS in Las Vegas, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get you on the show. We'd love to hear about the uh, you know the challenges you went through, if only to prepare you know, the rest of the United States and the rest of the world who's ever listening to us on how do we deal with this event. So in your own time, when you feel like it's appropriate that you can speak about it, you know, go ahead and give us a, uh, you know, send us an email to the show at ems1.com. We'll, we'll schedule you. We'll get you on. But Kelly, you know, there was an article that was in EMS1, and uh, we kind of alluded to it a bit ago. Paramedics recall agonizing decisions made during Las Vegas shooting rescue. Yeah, People were begging me to take them because they were in so much pain and that comes from paramedic Dean Weber. And I don't know if you've read that article, but it was a very, very compelling yeah. article. It was very, very compassionate. And think about you know our 
role as caregivers. I mean, you know, as much as we sometimes loathe our career field, as much as we sometimes complain about our career field, as much as we sometimes wish we were doing something else, in these events, I can't believe that as people are begging us to help them and we can't help them because we know they're expecting or they're just other people that need us before that, this has got to be a pretty traumatic event for any uh, first responder and certainly any caregiver uh, who's in our career field. It It is. You know, uh, I, I think of, of uh, the people that I know personally from uh, Newtown Volunteer EMS uh, that, that went to Sandy Hook, you know, and, and you can't prepare for that sort of thing. And, and having been there, you, you're never going to be the same again. Um and what, what many people don't realize, even in our profession, is that, you know, in a mass casualty situation like that, and, you know, some of the people that you triage as black are still alive. <laughs> you literally have the difference between life and death in your hands. You're, you're making decisions, you know, about which one might die versus which one will die and, and that sort of thing. And, and that sort of thing has to gnaw at you you know uh, it's uh we're our own worst critics and and the the thing that usually haunts uh, a medical provider most are uh are not the bad calls and the really gory things and the horrible things we've seen it's all the calls where you second guess yourself and ask you know could i have done more or could i have helped this guy and and there's probably a great deal of that going on right now uh, from the, the people who responded, you know, was that guy tagged to black, uh, because he couldn't maintain his own airway. Um, if we'd have had enough people, or if I'd have gotten there earlier, or if I could have drug him to cover, could I have kept him breathing and, until help arrived, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, and, and that's going to, to, uh, haunt people for, for many years to come. But, you know, I'm, I'm reading this this thing where the firefighter was shot in the chest while performing CPR on a victim at at the shooting. Oh, I didn't see. Um, I didn't see that. Where oh, was yeah, that? yeah. He was shot in the chest. Started doing CPR on a victim. It's it's on EMS one uh, on the front page, uh, right below the uh, the paramedic recalls agonizing decisions. But um, you know, right below the story about Dean Weber. But there was a firefighter that was shot in the chest while performing CPR. And you know, I am never going to say uh, second guess the, the actions of another, particularly one that did it. You know, well with. Uh, a hail of bullets spewing down around him, uh, the, the care he rendered. I'll never second guess that, but that's one of those things where perhaps our people need some training in, in figuring out, you know, uh, one of the first things in, in, uh, in tactical combat casualty care is, is, is get, get to cover, you know, um, it, can you provide care, uh, under fire and, and can you get to cover quickly to render, uh, render more definitive care? Um, and you know, should you be doing CPR in that in that sort of situation, or or should you uh, or should you be dragging someone to cover and, and then trying to start CPR or render care there? Uh, I certainly would not want to ever be in that man's position, and, and I hope that he uh, he survived the uh, the incident. But you know, that's the kind of stuff that sure. that's gonna that's gonna hit people uh, long afterwards thankfully we've got some of uh some of our people at at uh uh on our editorial advisory board and and our partners at ems1 
who are thinking about that sort of thing already. Uh, Code Green is 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 doing a responder for uh, uh, doing a uh, a uh, um, started a mental health fund through Code Green for the Las Vegas first responders uh, to help pay for PTSD treatment and that sort of thing. And and uh, um, if you're interested, uh, you can you can donate to that, and we'll put the link in the show notes. But um, that's something that we all need to be for our be there for our uh, our colleagues there in the in the days ahead. Yeah, and and I think that we've gotten to a point where um, you know talking about this and belaboring only only continues to uh, you know agonize yeah. the situation. So you know, I, I think what's best is that we put the reps on this show. You know, we yeah. want to send we want to send our support to the folks that are out there. We want to say a job well done. Uh, you know, our, our, our prayers, our thoughts. Um, and of course, if you ever need to talk, if you ever need to decompress, mm-hmm. you know, reach out to Kelly and I, we're happy to take your calls. And, uh, but Kelly, I think we should just, uh, let the show go this week and, uh, pick up again yeah. next week. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I, I think before signing off, I, I think, you know, we once again, share our prayers and, and good thoughts for, for the, the families of the dead and, and, uh, all the injured, uh, and the, the people tasked with caring for them, uh, and we wish them a speedy recovery and, and, uh, all our listeners and everybody out there in EMS, uh, go grab your loved ones and, and hold them tight and let them know you love them. And, uh, um, we'll, let's move on with the healing, but Hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. So email us at the show at ems1.com. Uh, reach out to us. If you're in need of, of decompression and help, uh, uh we're here. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co-host Chris Sabalero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week. So you guys don't go to truck and tractor pulls now? Then? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I don't go to truck and tractor pulls. Oh.